0: Welcome to Cryptic Chronicles, a show dedicated to exploring everything weird in this ineffable universe we call home. Today on the show, we're going to continue our exploration into the Enochian mysteries of John Dee and his notorious sidekick, Edward Kelly. I finished all the books I'd gotten as research since the last episode, so I know a little bit more, but this info is still really dense. By no means am I an expert, however, there's a lot to like. Concerning this enigmatic topic. The knowledge I talk about in this episode is by no means the beliefs of Cryptic Chronicles, and I am in no way trying to push anything. I can see why some people might be offended by this topic of a of John Dee and the Enochian stuff, so this little disclaimer is for you. If you subscribe to dogma, theology, or orthodox religions, then might as well just skip this episode. In any case, if you're still here, where we left off with John Dee and Edward Kelly, they were getting pretty deep into their Enochian esoteric experiments, and the apocalyptic intentions pushed by the Angels were getting steadily more severe on our two protagonists, with their mental health fracturing steadily. Not only that, but the constant demands from the Angels that cost Dee money were steadily eating at his bank account, and he had been taking loans and... Basically going heavily into debt, and with little in the way to show for their efforts, Kelly was questioning if the Enochian angels were actually evil spirits. While all this was going on, Dee's reputation at the Queen's Court was falling rapidly, and many enemies were moving against him. Luckily or unluckily, a Polish noble came to England to visit Dee, and he hoped the man would be his salvation concerning his political career. Now, Let's continue our exploration of John Dee and the Enochian Mysteries. My source books are John Dee and the Empire of Angels by Jason Louvre, John Dee, a Biography by Charles River Editors, and The Complete Mystical Records of John Dee by Kevin Klein. Check out and support the authors if you have more interest, but we got a lot of weird stuff to get into, so let's hop right into it. I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. <laughs> Where we left off, John Dee was asking the Enochian angels questions about the Polish succession to help him in his spy stuff. They'd just finished the Logeth at an increased pace because of warnings from Archangel Uriel concerning dire circumstances to come. And concerning Dee's political career and intrigue for the Queen, his soon-to-be visitor undoubtedly had something to do with all that. Basically, at around the time we left off, Ulbricht Laski, the palatine seer in Poland came to visit him when Dee had mentioned the man who wanted to meet him so badly. The angels didn't care and didn't give him any advice, just saying that they were above such mundane nonsense. But this passive view wouldn't last long. Lasky was in the Polish Senate and from the Transylvania-controlled Habsburg area. And oddly, the uncle of the famed Polish Countess who drank the blood of young women to try and stay young, who's one one of the most notorious serial killers in history, But he wasn't there for any of that. I just thought I'd mentioned it because it's pretty dark. But Lasky wanted to visit Dee for numerous reasons. The main one obviously being political. I've mostly just been talking about Dee's esoteric works and not his political, real-world stuff for obvious reasons concerning the topic of this show. But in the background, he actually had been making some mistakes in court and his popularity had been decreasing steadily. One of his main mistakes is that he was talking about the Enochian experiments, to prominent members of the court, as well as all of his hermetic philosophy and other things far beyond those people's comprehension most likely. So Dee had a hit taken in his reputation and standing in the court. He had more enemies than ever. And there's other political reasons for this decline, but all in all, Dee was kind of vulnerable and he saw Lasky as a way to get back into prominence among the political elite of England. And the man, whether knowingly or unknowingly, very much could have been taking advantage of Dee. And one of the reasons why Lasky was so interested in meeting Dee is because he was an occultist too. But Lasky's shady reputation put Edward Kelly's to shame a hundred times over. Though he was at first welcomed to England, Lasky was mostly hated across all the political board from Ivan the Terrible to Wallachia to Poland, to Austria, and you name it, he was hated. So it was only a matter of time before his true nature was revealed. And when it was time for the tables to turn on him, he'd take Dee with him on accident. But Queen Elizabeth would hook him up pretty solid, and even hooked up Dee and Kelly too, and the two even got a ship to travel to the continent. This all most likely had to do with Dee's day job, or one of his day jobs, I mean, because he was a spymaster. It's easy to just forget that John Dee was 007, and the evidence behind a lot of what was going on with Lasky's activities in um, the journey to continental Europe is uh, redacted from history. America's own NSA has categorized D's activities here as classified in a modern sense when talking on the subject. And since D was a spy, all in all there's probably a lot of misinformation surrounding him and a lot just straight up remains unknown. It is kind of funny though how so many occultists in history make excellent spies, including allegedly the notorious Aleister Crowley. But there's literally tons and tons. In any case... My point is just that there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes at this point in time. And what D is up to isn't very clear. I mean, he could have been spying for Queen Elizabeth the entire time. He was kind of like, quote-unquote, exiled from Britain and traveling in Europe. But I gotta backpedal a little bit, getting ahead of myself. So when he first came to visit John D, Lasky actually stayed with him for a while at his home. And... Lasky being an occultist was instantly into all the weird stuff that Kelly and Dee were up to and asked if he could join in. He wanted to know his fortunes to come. When Dee and Kelly asked the angels, they said that far journeys lay ahead, but they also told them a bunch of, like, delusions of grandeur type stuff concerning Lasky and a possible future where he could unite all the religions into one super-religion which as I said in the first part on D, the angels were all about. And next came some bizarre conjurations over an extended period of time that seemed to contradict or be blatantly false upon hindsight. The angels themselves admitted that they could make mistakes and were not perfect beings. Because once a new angel showed up and began giving them the Logeth to decipher once more, they got kind of confused. It was slightly different though, However, it still confused the two because they had already spent so much time deciphering the first one they'd got. Apparently, it was the perfected version. And it was uh, one of a handful of Enochian deciphers to come that would be... translated more than once. Metaphorically, a draft form and then a final draft of the Enochian. Also, the angels claimed that Lasky would not only unify all religions, but also he would become king another thing that objectively never came true. The Angels also talked more and more about the end times approaching and that hell would be set loose and whatnot, but all that really came to pass was the increasing stress on Dee and Kelly. It also didn't help that Kelly's brother visited them and told Kelly there was a warrant out for his arrest concerning coin fraud. Those who had been after him had apparently began to catch up and get closer and closer to him, which pretty much freaked him out. And Kelly's wife, which I'm sure you'll remember in last episode that he never wanted to marry in the first place, she took off, almost immediately saying he didn't care because he hated her, which is pretty douchey, but spirits that Kelly had conjured told him that if he was caught, he'd be hung, and if he left with Lasky, he'd be beheaded, and if he stayed with Dee, then Dee would break his promises, so things weren't looking pretty good for Kelly at the time but he was pretty much convinced it was time to leave, and he departed much to Dee's sadness. However, he returned just three hours later, and they got right back to conjuring the angels, to which they worked on dispelling evil spirits supposedly in Kelly's body that were causing him to make such bad decisions. But things were going to get harder and harder for the two men from this point on. Lasky falling from grace across Europe and the English politics beginning to do a 180 on him, Dee's association with Lasky being the last nail in the coffin of his political career, with it all getting so bad that John Dee's court enemies planned to raid his house on charges of treason as soon as Lasky left England. And worst of all, the Queen, too, was beginning to put her own political health before her fondness of Dee, and was thus pushing him further and further away from association with her. At this point, he was getting pretty broke, so it looked like there was little for him to do other than his self-imposed angelic path of the Enochian conversations. There was a period of time that we don't know what Dee was up to because of destroyed historical documents, but he falls back into history when creating a retinue to leave England and go to Europe d was most likely very aware of the court turning against him and what would happen to him if he stayed so he put his faith into the angels and took his family to poland with Lasky. the angels were still saying that he would be the one to unite the religions and other high praises but they'd have a challenge to their paradigm soon enough during their journey a spirit came to d and kelly in their rituals that had some stuff to say that they didn't want to hear it told them that many of the quote angels that they've been talking to and sworn covenants with are angels who don't dwell in heaven which i mean can only mean one thing right but it also told them that lasky would fall and that they had been led and were being led to ruin it said that even great men of god like saint Antony of egypt had been led astray in this fashion and they could always remember their own knowledge It told them that they would be made laughingstocks and abandoned by their friends in the world. And this is relevant because the curses on Dee and Kelly's names remain strong even to the modern age. Back in England at John Dee's home, it was being ransacked by creditors and his political enemies, and his beloved library was being utterly desecrated. But their time in Poland was chaotic too because Dee and his wife were fighting, He noted being jealous of Kelly in his diary and there was all around a lot of tension close to a breaking point in their little entourage. Continuing their scrying sessions, a new entity came to them claiming to be a spirit of wisdom, calling himself Nalvage. This angel would play a pretty significant role in the scrying sessions from this point on. It warned of evil spirits working to interfere with their work but that the kingdom of darkness would be destroyed. The angel revealed to them hidden secrets within the Liber Logith they'd channeled from previous sessions. In it, the Kabbalah of nature would be shown, preparing for the second coming of Christ on Earth. Then, all of a sudden, Kelly was struck with a horrific vision of John Dee's home in England being attacked by a mob. His wife was violated, and her face smashed in. The maid was dragged off half dead, and Dee himself was seen running through fields being chased by men with torches. And his books all burning and all this while evil spirits looked on laughing and mocking the tragedy this was taken as what would happen if edward kelly and john d had not left england when they did and this all horrified d making him consumed in fear he fell to his knees and begged christ for more divine protection but then another new spirit appeared a young female spirit she blatantly lied to d and kelly saying that everything at his home was fine, and the Queen missed him, and everything was okay. However, just as I said earlier, his house was raided, and this vision was probably somewhat accurate. And like, one-third of his books were already gone, and not to mention also that his enemies at court were very much after him on accounts of treason. According to Jason Louvre, it's hard to understand these angels because it's not that they seek out bad stuff for people. It's just that they are not human and look at Earth like a math equation needing to be solved. They don't care about the things that we care about and they don't understand or see the things we see them. So like bad and good to us isn't anything to them. They see things in like 400 year phases in a very inhuman way. So Dee and Kelly going broke didn't mean anything, according to them. Because they look at all things in like a, a bigger picture sort of way. And there's also the apologists who try and say, like, um yeah, I don't want to get into that. But pretty much the way that Jason Lou sums it up is that they're just basically alien to us. And we should not ever expect them to see things the way we see them. I mean that's if the Enochian entities are even angels in that way that uh, John D. thought of angels in the first place. I'm pretty sure lying is a no-no after all, but here we are, angels blatantly lying. So was this actually an angel or is it one of the the like evil spirits that I mentioned earlier? That like, Because it's hard for me to tell which ones are the evil spirits and which ones aren't the evil spirits. I mean, come on, am I right? What do you think? it's not very easy to tell they seem pretty interchangeable or is it just like uh is there more to it beyond what we can comprehend the angels were saying that Lasky was going to be the chosen one and unite all religions and all these other like granderous things however they had now taken like a complete turn on the matter they were done with Lasky and said that he didn't have what it took and was out of God's graces the angel Medimi, who had now grown into a full woman from the child they'd first seen, said that Lasky would die before his time because of his weakness. John D had put his last gambit on Lasky, so this news was probably pretty frustrating to say the least. But it's just weird how—I mean, if they're angels, couldn't they see the future? Because they switched their stance on Lasky pretty quickly, and also when D first brought Lasky to their attention, they didn't even care. They were like we don't care about mundane human stuff we're too good for that but they didn't think about kind of putting this weird stuff together and questioning what they were doing and the entities that they were talking to they just continued on with their Enochian work and the next thing that the two were being told to like decipher is called the 49 calls which is the most important of all the Enochian workings and was supposed to open up regions of the world to the influence of angels so they could carry out the events of revelation. Later, Navaj, the newer angel of the angels that they were interacting with, once more came forth, but this time in the form of Henry VI. However, many evil spirits were taking the form of Navaj or claiming to be Navaj, to which Kelly and Dee had to constantly battle in question. When they finally believed that the real Navaj came around, He told the two that the forces of light and darkness were in a constant and heated state of battle and it would only heat up during the the end of the current era or the world i guess and told d that his imagination was being infected from these dark spirits but the transference of the 49 calls continued despite all this weird evil dark stuff going on i know i said this in the last episode but all of this stuff really reminds me of the first half of the show supernatural or like the first five seasons anyway the angels promised that they'd give countless understanding of secrets that were to Dee and kelly like children unable to understand the world around them they were given to kelly backward which once again leads to evidence of the Enochian language being probable to be like a real language because kelly was not a linguist and no one could have done what he did much less backward Looking outside of this narrative, could this language have been some language from the collective unconscious? I mean, if we look at this from a union perspective, the language could be analogous to an ancestral memory or something. I don't know though, I'm just thinking. But not long after they began work on the 49 calls, The angels started to say they did not want to work with Kelly anymore unless he stopped interacting with evil spirits, which (laughs) this was strange and surprised Dee. But apparently Kelly had been doing all kinds of conjurations on the side without Dee knowing. I guess he had been using other grimoires and doing other things besides the Enochian conjuring that he was all about with Dee and whatnot. But being called out for this really pissed him off. And he once again began telling Dee that the entities were deceivers and that we should burn all their work and denounce them. He said that in the two years that they'd been working their asses off with the angels, they'd gained nothing practical and only had misfortune and lost things. Kelly said that he'd burn all their work if he could and that he would do no more scrying ever again. Two days later, he was scrying again. And immediately, Kelly was given a stern message from none other than the Archangel Gabriel. The Archangel said, Were not all things possible with God? The angel asked Kelly. It said that all actions were of God and all would be delivered. And not very convinced, Kelly apathetically asked, By next August? And the angel replied, What if it were a hundred Augusts? Which probably wasn't what Kelly wanted to hear. But for the first time, the two actually got some true revelations in the story of the fall from paradise, like the Garden of Eden story, but from the angel's perspective. I'll be honest, though, I don't really understand it and I don't want to attempt to explain it. But if I do understand any of it in like any small degree, it seems like an an evolution of consciousness and not a material place, like a spiritual realm. Not physical bodies, physical garden kind of a thing with like spheres of consciousness. And the reason why humans fell was because the, the spheres were see, I shouldn't have tried to explain it. So I'm just going to move on. But like usual, there's also a lot of things that (laughs) are just plain wrong. The angels say Gabriel claims that Hebrew was the first language after the fall with Enochian being the original language before the fall, but objectively, I mean, factual, objective fact, history states that Hebrew was far from the first language. In fact, the civilizations in the Near East were ancient before the Hebrews were ever a thing. Even the Sumerians of Mesopotamia, which are considered the first accepted civilization in mainstream archaeology, are also not the first civilization. Gobekli Tepe and other beyond ancient structures would suggest that we actually know very little concerning our own race history, and things are not what they seem. And a lot of the old Old Testament stuff, they're actually found in the older civilizations and myths around the area of the ancient world, specifically the Canaanites. But basically all of the ancient civilizations have a little bit inside of the Hebrew myth from the Bible. It's really just kind of like an amalgamation of everything that came before. Granted that a lot of this knowledge that I'm talking about right now is purely from the 20th century and there's no way that D or anybody in the past would have any idea what I'm talking about. Even the Sumerians weren't widely recognized until the 60s, until after the 60s, but none of that takes away the value of the Hebrews in the slightest. So don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to delegitimize anything if you want to think that all of that is just a trick from satan or a test then that's just fine in my perspective actually this these revelations from the 20th century it makes the abrahamic religions universal in their spiritual beliefs to a degree if you know what i'm saying it makes that that's why to the people who are into spiritual stuff even if they don't believe in the bible they know the bible is extremely powerful in a spiritual manner and a lot of that comes from just it's it's loaded with universal spiritual truths and teaching of the ages so to me it makes it even more credible moreover that means that we can't really judge dear kelly because they were working with uh, information and the reality tunnels of the time i have a deep reverence for all spiritual beliefs and religions so i'm in no way trying to delegitimize any of them and i'm just you know me i'm not i'm non-dogmatic i don't think god is a jew i don't think god is christian i don't think god is muslim i don't think god is any denomination and i think the divine is channeled through all spiritual traditions but that's just me in my own opinion and point of view to me the idea of god is more like the tao from taoism think about it like the force from star wars after all, George Lucas was heavily influenced by the Tao and Hermeticism in his creation of the Force for that franchise. And reality it is a perception in mind, and all civilizations have lived in different worlds through different perspectives. But then again, these Enochian angels could have also been interacting with Dean Kelly through a filter in a way that they could understand from their reality tunnel. And honestly, I don't know. I'm just. Blabbing some analyzation. So don't take my word for anything. It's just my own thinking and has nothing to do with reality or the reality of Dean Kelly. And I respect any beliefs that you may have on spirituality or religion or the world in general. By no means should what I say influence your own perspective unless it resonates with you. We'll be right back after a short break. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. <laughs>
1: Do you like food do you not like going places do you like staying home and having food brought to you well you're in luck because a thing called blue apron exists with multiple pricing there's a way to get the gourmet delicious meals under any budget and it's totally worth it cryptic chronicles would not promote blue apron unless it knew how good it is for you with all the junk and everything these days the majority of people sustain themselves on poison and don't even know it a healthy spirit mind and body requires a healthy lifestyle and the ability to take care of yourself, and feed your body all the nutrients it needs to function at its best in our highly demanding lives. You get to choose your own meals. The chef-designed recipes include balanced Mediterranean delicacies, quick one-pan dinners, and top-rated customer favorites. Unpack your home delivered box with enthusiasm because there's a guarantee on freshness and the highest quality of all Blue Apron products and ingredients. Create magic following our step-by-step instructions, you'll experience the magic of cooking recipes that the master Blue Apron chefs created with your family's tastes in mind. With step-by-step instructions, so you never miss a beat and have to get frustrated about making the meal. I know I do that. At least, when I'm not eating a delicious Blue Apron meal that is. Responsibly sourced, quality ingredients like fresh produce, sustainable seafood and exclusive spice blends means you're going to have a meal that's top here over the common fast food garbage most people eat. And Blue Apron cares about the environment, which is another reason I love them so much, with recyclable ice packs and packaging to ensure your ingredients stay fresh until you're home and ready and easily disposable for the health of Mother Earth. Do yourself a favor, and take care of your body and mind the way nature intended it, with a healthy meal that's also gloriously delicious. With Blue Apron the yummy goodness is dropped off right to your very doorstep. So if you like food, and you like not going places, then why not try Blue Apron, and give your mind a rest from going to crowded grocery stores, and writing a list of stuff to get, only to forget half. $30
2: $30 off weed with code PODCAST? Did someone say $30 off weed with code PODCAST? Amuse delivers over 500 high-quality cannabis products from the Bay Area brands you love at everyday low prices. You can also rest assured that everything will be up to your high standards. So what are you waiting for? Start shopping now at amuse.com. Use promo code PODCAST to save 30 bucks off your next order. That's amuse.com.
0: As the work of the calls continued, not only Kelly, but D2 were given a series of profound visions. They were pretty crazy and psychedelic apocalyptic visions too, with uh, lots of symbolism thrown in foreshadowing the apocalypse. Kelly said that they should just burn all their work because it kind of freaked them out, they should just burn it all, but D obviously would not allow it, and Kelly would continuously be chastised by the angels, as we're used to hearing about by now. But despite Kelly's rebelliousness, he would have kind of a, an epiphany. They would, they would, well, they both had like a divine epiphany during their, their work on the Aethers and the angels really affected them with love and purification and opening their subconscious filters to the point that both men broke down crying and had, I guess, what we'd call an identity crisis. Kelly had been using grimoire magic on the side the entire time he'd been with Dee, and he'd been summoning things that kinda went against what D was all about. Oddly, Kelly seemed to trust these other entities more than the angels that he conjured with D. Though, as stated earlier, Dee already knew about this to an extent, though not to the degree that was pretty substantial. However, D was completely convinced of Kelly's sincerity, and so were the angels, apparently. It is kind of interesting to note though, the information that Kelly was given in his side dealings, the other entities told him the following, that Jesus was not God, that no prayer out be made to Jesus, that there is no sin, that a man's soul doth go from one body to another child's quickening or animation, reincarnation, that as many men and women as are now have always been, That is, so many human bodies and human souls, neither more nor less, as are now, have always been. That the generation of mankind from Adam and Eve is not a history, but a writing which hath another sense. No Holy Ghost, they acknowledged. They would not suffer him to pray to Jesus first, but would rebuke him, saying that he robbed God of his honor. (laughs) No, that's pretty heretical from a Christian point of view. But just were, what were these other entities that Kelly was conjuring? Because there's like a consistent theme of entities interacting with each other at the same time, contradicting one another while interacting with Kelly and Dee. So it's pretty confusing. Um, uh, I believe in June, 1588, Kelly had a vision laying in bed. That would be crucial to the further progress of the angel system of magic a ritual that would become very popular among occultists down the line, called the Four Watchtowers. An angel covered in feathers patted him on the head and filled him with vigilance. The vision showed four castles in an even distance, forming a symmetrical cross with angels that came from each castle in the direction towards the center. This was later called the Vision of the Golden Talisman, because the image would later be adapted into talismans. A new angel that manifested in their conjurations told them that these castles were the stations of the four angels of the earth. The angels of the Aethers came from the watchtowers, who were obedient to the will of men, and by the use of which they would subvert whole countries without armies. Now, this was very exciting to Kelly and Dee, because it was actually like something practical. Dee and Kelly thought that they actually got something that could help them in their mission in a practical sense. The Enochian entities wanted the angels of the Aethers to be used in that manner, and they were being told to use them for the glory of God, these mighty angels subservient to the wills of men. (laughs) It seemed through the Aethers, Dee could bring his new world order, his British Empire, the Apocalypse itself, finally into fruition in the material world, And thus, they had the Aethers and the Enochian tablets, which esotericists still use to this day. It took a lot of work, but they had the Great Table, as they called it. And after they completed the table, their whole entourage, wherever they traveled, was subject to a bunch of really weird supernatural phenomena. Gotta keep in mind that they're on the continent now, not in England. And Central Eastern Europe has a pretty distinct legacy of weird supernatural stuff and legends of paranormal beings far more than Western Europe and the British Isles. Well, not really, but just, just different, you know what I mean? So from a conjuration standpoint, they could be getting a bunch of really weird signals in their conjuring with all kinds of weird spirits from the past that they might not expect putting on the shoes of the angels they expect to see especially vampiric ones, because they do make their way to Prague, which is home of these notorious spiritual entities that suck your life force. Okay, I'm being ridiculous, but remember, we're looking at this from their point of view. So let's just put ourselves in their shoes. All these spirits to them are real. Whether you believe in the supernatural or not, this was all very real to them. And where they were currently located had a ton of... I mean, it has a ton of lore concerning all kinds of weird entities, but the vampire lore in Eastern Europe, Central Eastern Europe, is pretty awesome. I was just indulging the some information regarding the origins of vampires. Couldn't help but just throw that in there for no reason at all. So just ignore I said that. But it is interesting that the original types of vampires, where all the legends come from, they were more so spiritual than physical entities, and it was thought that their etheric body would only be destroyed after their physical body decayed. And I'm getting really off topic. Um, and, uh, and on the first episode of the Enochian Mysteries of John D., I wondered aloud if he had the books of Enoch, and indeed he did. In a couple of these conjurings, the angels even mention Enoch and the apocryphal texts. And this is from John Dee's writing himself that I had yet to discover and read before last episode. The angels even told Kelly and Dee that Enoch got the same knowledge from the angels and made his own Enochian tablets. But the angels also said that even Enoch himself was only getting a small dabble compared to what was being given to Kelly and Dee. However, the angels also chastised the men about their faith, saying that Enoch had a hundred times the faith that they had. But they're also very vague in how reality itself is different compared to Enoch. Enoch was pre-diluvian, after all, pre-diluvian meaning before the great flood, found in all ancient civilizations across the planet, mythologically, I mean. And D himself had changed in many ways because he was now kind of showing interest in conjuring these evil spirits like Kelly was, or Kelly used to be I guess, which displeased the angels obviously, but which, I don't know, it's hard for me to tell which ones are the good ones and which are the bad ones. And D was slipping on the faith side in more ways than one, it seemed. The English translation of the 19th Call of the Aether gave D some pretty dark vibes. That's probably because it was a curse on humanity. Which very much reminds me of the cursed undead humans from the dark souls franchise when d asked the angels they said that indeed god had cursed the earth and humans they were saying that this world is a prison prepared for us which was pretty dark they said that keepers watchmen and princes were placed over humanity according to the years months and days But Kelly and Dee were also told that they would never understand all these mysteries that had been given to them and not to try to judge them. But what I want to know is if we're looking at all this from the perspective of Kelly and Dee, how can we possibly tell the difference when they're talking about the good spirits and the bad spirits during all of this? Because it seems like they're constantly interchanging and Dee and Kelly seem like they're kind of naive and easy to manipulate, especially with their old worldly view of things. But that's a very subjective thing, just for that I just said. its There's no relevance on that in the big picture. Moving on, the angels then told Kelly and Dee to seek out the court of Rudolf II in Prague, the Holy Roman Empire. But instead of being the engineers of the apocalypse, they were now somewhat taking on the role of prophet. Dee thought that the instructions to go to Prague could be suicidal, but Rudolf was actually pretty tolerant and... In the center of things concerning the heated cold war between Protestants and Catholics in Europe. Like I said earlier, the angels wanted to create a super religion of a universal nature that united all pagan traditions of uh, Abrahamic religions and especially healed the schism between the Protestants and Catholics and the Orthodox. They were told that this would all help prepare in soul harvesting for the end of days which sounds pretty malevolent, and they were told that they would be highly rewarded if they were successful. In essence, the angels wanted to spread a new religion dictated from them to D that was universal in nature and basically reassemble the broken pieces of the world. Through the work that Dee had already completed in the foundation of the British Empire, the angels would unite the globe and bring all humanity under one banner. <laughs> And the number one priority of the angels to further these goals was the fall of the Ottoman Empire, to which Rudolf II was also very keen on coming to pass as well. Rudolf would be remembered as an incredibly tolerant ruler. He allowed all religions and worldviews, as well as an early champion of what we'd eventually call science. However, luckily to D.N. Kelly, Rudolf II was also a devout occultist. And the two didn't have to wait very long before being granted an audience with the emperor. But the emperor didn't really buy what D was selling. And despite believing he was destined to destroy the Ottomans, Rudolf II did not care for the apocalyptic rhetoric and did not trust D's supposed conversations with angels. And the angels were not cool with that, saying that Rudolf was to be destroyed for refusing D's message. Uriel concocted a plan that would revolve around the Philosopher's Stone and luring Rudolf II and the court to their doom. But everything that could have gone wrong did. Defeated and despondent, Dee requested leave. And it was granted. Running out of money fast, D would luckily be granted some patronship from the King of Poland, Stephen Bathory. However, Kelly and Dee's retinue were now pretty broke altogether, other than this small amount. And his request for aid from queen elizabeth and england were ignored completely and little did they know that their actions had gained the attention of probably the worst people they could have ever gotten the attention of concerning what they were all about the catholic church and worse yet the king of poland too brushed them off eventually when confronted by the church d knew that they were possibly in a fatal situation A papal agent basically forced a meeting, and while Dee was smart and tactical, Kelly said the stupidest stuff he possibly could have. The agent of the Pope could have executed them then and there, but resisted. Later, Kelly and Dee were harassed to confess to the crime of making direct communication with angels of their own accord, and smelling where the wind was blowing, and to the utter dismay of both Kelly and Dee, the angels commanded them to burn all the writings that they'd made during the Enochian rituals, during the entire angelic conversations. And they did it too. They burned everything, but a bit of Liber at Logeth, all that work, dedication and constant pain, gone. However, they were instructed to go along with all this by the angels themselves and they told d and kelly that nothing would be lost and to have faith a dreadful spirit was said to have appeared on the fire as they burned all the books but by telling them to burn it the angels probably did save the lives of the two men because the catholic church does not mess around when it comes to heretics and on continental europe they didn't have even half the protection that they had back in england they very much just narrowly avoided being burned at the stake most likely the angelic conversations could have also fallen into the hands of the enemy, and they could have died. Which would have been even worse, because then it would just be forgotten in some Vatican archive for forever, never to be seen by anyone ever again. But by destroying their work, they were essentially saving their work from being erased from history paradoxically. Later, an apparition showed Kelly the Lost Text under an almond tree. Somehow they just manifested. All the books that they'd burned were there in full. The Liver Logeth, the 48 Calls, the 48 Calls Angelica, Liver Scientia, and the Aethers. It was all, everything was there. It was a miracle. The apparition bid Kelly to follow him and floated above the ground while it moved forward with doors opening on their own before it. It gave him the rest of their work and notes and all the other things that they'd made that they'd had to burn. But the church was still pissed and was calling Dee a necromancer, which got him exiled. The papal agent did invite Dee. He said that, uh, well, the Pope actually requested it, but Dee was requested to go to the Vatican to show the Pope how he conjured these angels and to conjure these angels for the Pope. And only then, the slander against him would cease from the Catholic Church. I mean, this was obviously a death sentence. Who would be dumb enough to actually go to the Vatican and be an esotericist, an occultist, or whatever? Like, no, you're stupid if you do that. So they got the hell out of there and went to Germany. The Prince of Bohemia loved what Dee had to say and financed an alchemy lab for him, to which he eagerly accepted, and Kelly and Dee continued their work. Must take a quick break. Don't go anywhere.
2: Hi there. Thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles. The show is sponsored by Blueberry. And if you're interested in starting your own podcast, use our link. We'll even give your podcast a shout out. Go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click on the Blueberry link on the homepage. By doing so, you'll be helping the show. Blueberry is optimized for iTunes as well as all podcast hubs. You won't have to worry about expensive contracts or fees. In fact, you won't have to leave your own website. You'll have your own RSS feed and no third-party sites try it for a month free by going through cryptic chronicles also if you're a fan of cryptic content please support the show on patreon by giving just one dollar a month you can really assist us in posting more content frequently you'll also have access to bonus ad free episodes of the show and the discord channel and the discord channel to keep up with all cryptic chronicles content follow us on twitter instagram tumblr and of course facebook Give the Facebook page a like and join the Crypto Chronicles group. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for supporting the show. But most of all, thanks for listening.
0: And as they continued their work with their new benefactor on a particularly interesting night of scrying, the angels gave Kelly a bunch of crap, um, oddly about him marrying against their will, even though they forced him to marry against his will. See, so it's, to me, it seems it's very obvious that they're not talking to the same entities sometimes, even though that the entities are claiming to be the same entities as before. Unless they're specifically trolling on purpose. And then the female angel, Medimi told them to have sex with each other's wives. So shit was getting pretty weird. And I'm not going to go into too much detail about this. Just keep in mind that um, John D's wife hated Kelly. And John D and his wife were like very devout Christians. So wife swapping was a no-no to say the least. But the two were enlightened in the Gnostic wisdom of Sophia. However, stuff was too weird between Dee and Kelly now, so they split ways, and it's most likely that this switch of wives led to John Dee raising Kelly's kid the rest of his life, because they totally went through with it. Edward Kelly would later die after falling off a roof to escape jail, and John D was pretty much destitute. He'd sacrificed everything to bring the Enochian Mysteries into the world, but he did finally return to England in 1589, So I'm just going to, they do spend more time in Europe. I'm just going to skip all of that because it's just more of what I've already talked about. And when Dee returned to England, it wasn't a happy homecoming because his home was completely despoiled. It was a bad time to be a wizard too because anti-occult sentiment was brewing strong in Britain. Dee continued scrying with his old scryer before Kelly, but all records of this work have been lost that we know of. Queen Elizabeth did help Dee to a degree, though. She even later helped the restoration of his library and an alchemical lab to which there's evidence that she actually conducted experiments there with Dee herself. But Dee had been cursed, after all. His wife and most of his children would die in an outburst of the plague and with his conjurer of demons reputation. There were a few practical ways for him to make any money, despite his vast intellect and knowledge Not anyone who cared about their own credibility and reputation would touch him with a 10-foot stick. Luckily, the queen came to his rescue once again and got him a leadership job in the church. However, these people often undermined him and worked against him, and those under him didn't respect his position of authority. And I know what you may be thinking, basically this ending is pretty anticlimactic concerning the larger-than-life story of John D and no apocalyptic ending as D and Kelly had always thought it would climax in in this way D is kind of similar to HP Lovecraft and the Cthulhu Mythos because nobody gave a crap about him when he was alive all the way up until his untimely death but after he died he just his work changed the world changed the way that we see fiction and horror to survive D would have to sell what little remained of his library and all around lived the last part of his life in poverty and struggle, with people constantly after him because of his destroyed reputation. There were few who were aware of him that didn't slander him, and England had changed drastically since before his adventure to the continent with Kelly, the occult was not an acceptable thing anymore at all. Where esotericism was tolerated and even looked at with curiosity before, now it was considered evil and to be stamped out. And when Queen Elizabeth died, the king that took over after her detested Dee, and all things esoteric, which led to more persecution his way, because he needed more of that. John Dee would die in obscurity and depression, being taken care of by his remaining daughter. So, (laughs) indeed, Dee seemed to have been cursed at some point in some way. At least according to some based on this tragic last chapter of the life of such a monumentally influential mind yet despite this dark end d helped in creating a hermetic renaissance across europe and beyond the man was a legend in his own times and many wizard tropes you still see today are based on john d and his influence would lead to the creation of rational science which we all love right And I've gone into a lot of shadow history left out of mainstream history, but I'm also going to get esoteric and abstract concerning Dee and the overall revelation of his work in many weird ways. So bear with me. I want to give you an overarching view of his influence beyond like the mainstream herd stuff because the spiritual legacy that he left across the world is far more prominent than anything else. The work of John Dee and Edward Kelly has influenced the world so profoundly it's hard to comprehend. Another famous man heavily influenced by Dee was the legendary Francis Bacon in his dream of a new Atlantis in the Americas, which technically was achieved by our founding fathers when they established liberty as the principal doctrine of the U.S. Well, the, you know, America. our constitution based by the people for the people, liberty, First and foremost, that's all this new Atlantis stuff. A secret society known as the Rosicrucians is also linked to Dee, which would influence secret societies for centuries and centuries. And they're still around today. Though esoteric ideas were demonized in England at the end of Dee's life, throughout the 1640s, the ideas inspired by Dee took on new life there. Some of the spirit diaries of John Dee ended up as the property of a man named Robert Cotton at an estate sale. The diaries were then published in 1659 and produced a whole new wave of fear-mongering concerning devil worship and black magic. Luckily, society by then was much less superstitious, and it didn't cause book burning and whatnot. Uh, They were published by Merrick Casabon and thanks to him, these records of the Enochian conversation survived history. However, it was presented as a warning and being led astray by the devil, but it didn't take long for occultists to make practical guides to contact them, such as Thomas Mudd, which would then go on to inspire countless occultists from that point forward, including our founding fathers, who were all masons but one. Dun-dun-dun! There were also many documents that Dee hid out of fear of superstitious herd people burning his work, so it's probably a lot still yet to discover. One of the most famous accounts of someone finding Dee's lost diaries is a a London confectioner going by the name Mr. Jones who discovered a hidden bottom in one of Dee's old chests. Sadly, an illiterate maid didn't know the value of the documents, and she would rip the pages out as kindling paper for the fireplace that is until her actions were discovered and put a stop to with up to seven of the 28 spirit diaries being burned pretty tragic stuff we have to keep in mind too that john d came up with the term british empire and inspired much of what would lead to britain's impressive legacy And the first known reference to Freemasonry is in 1646 by none other than one of the men responsible for preserving Dee's legend, with him recounting being initiated into the secret society in his journal. However, there's even more evidence to suggest that Freemasons go back in one form or another all the way back to existing in Cleopatra's times, and of course the Knights Templar connections, but the Freemasons most assuredly were inspired to act more openly by John Dee's legacy. Lots of people hate Freemasons and conspiracy theorists have an insane amount of tall tales concerning them that have more in common with the with mustache twirling Saturday morning cartoon villains than anything objective. It's also pretty clear that Dee inspired many secret societies like the Rosicrucians and other invisible orders to become more active in the world Dame Yates went even so far as to suggest that de-inspired the Rosicrucian movement itself. And people do like to demonize these groups even now to the present times, but they're actually responsible for making a lot of ordinary people's lives way better than uh, just than constantly existing under the yoke of authoritarian monarchies and whatnot analogous to them. That's consistent throughout all human history. Like for example, the literacy rising, literacy numbers, rising of people literate in uh, all across Europe and and everything, that is thanks to the Freemasons. (laughs) Hold on, I gotta stop for a second. Don't get me wrong. There's bad and good in everything and all things fall to entropy eventually, if not reborn in some way. So I'm not trying to be all pro-secret society elites if you get my drift. I'm not trying to say that all these secret societies are good and you know being a fanboy of them or whatever i'm just saying that things are much more abstract and complicated than some more conspiracy-minded people may think and they did battle the domination of the roman catholic church which allowed knowledge and understanding that led to science also fyi um i'm not hating catholics just brainstorming but then again people do fear the unknown more than anything so who can really judge. As long as there's gonna be secret societies, there's gonna be people who just will say the worst things about them and think the worst things about them with little evidence. But in saying that, there are bad and good secret societies. And many bad ones from the past have become good and many good ones from the past have become bad. And a lot of these factions are actually separate. I mean, in Freemasonry alone, there's like a bajillion different uh, self-autonomous organizations. So it's not black and white, but there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the Freemasons influenced the growth of Protestantism, freeing people from dogma, as well as influencing the French Revolution, American Revolution, and an all around push for liberty and the rights of individual citizens. I mean, Aleister Crowley's famous Golden Dawn emerged from Freemasonry too. I don't really, I think I'm getting too into secret societies actually in this episode because This isn't the topic, but no one knows the facts concerning these secret societies. It's all hearsay, so that's my point. And a lot of the opinions surrounding them are all built on sand in a castle of glass. What is factual is that hermeticism formed the backbone of Western civilization for centuries, whether ordinary people were aware of it or not. Neoplatonism too, actually, I should say, with that statement, but People like to say that the Masons are NWO people, New World Order people, which I'm not going to claim to know or not know, but it's interesting concerning the angels detoxed to trying to push a one world government and religion. They were totally all about that. Many think that liberty and a one world government are at odds, but these people pushing for these things, if they're coming from Dee's perspective, they're actually trying to speed up the apocalypse which is kind of freaky (laughs) I mean I mean how much does the modern world seem like D's it's not even remotely similar so the apocalypse kind of already happened in a way I think we're going through another apocalypse right now in uh in our modern age and there and then there's people who will say that that's all bullshit and the apocalypse is actually the literal book of Revelation from the New Testament of the Bible that's the real apocalypse yet to come however these people take the Bible literally Which was assembled by romans for genuine political reasons to control the masses and the early church considered revelation detached from primary scripture the early church before catholicism i mean it was detached from the regular scripture because it's uh it's basically anti-roman propaganda with the beast 666 the famous you know that being essentially emperor nero and you can find metaphor for everything in revelation to the time period of uh, Emperor Nero and how the Jews were being treated I mean the Christians were being treated sorry and the early church had a lot of split thinkings on stuff one of the fundamental ones was that the church half of it thought that Christianity was only meant for Jews and the other half thought that it was meant for everybody and should be spread to everybody and depending on what side of the camp one was on they entirely disregarded the book of Revelation completely Early Christianity was way more diverse than most can comprehend who are stuck in the reality tunnel of the Bible being literal fact, but it's human nature that the more something threatens one's identity, the more someone will avoid it, or attack it for that matter. The earliest forms of Christianity were far more mystic and about personal empowerment, redemption, and forgiveness. Was little bits of it like surviving here and there, but I mean, come on and I'm getting way off topic I'm sorry about that so this so this apocalypse the angels talked about with D there's more than one way to look at it I think that's what I was trying to say uh and some even take it in a direction of people waking up quote unquote analogous to everyone in the Matrix movie all waking up to the real world at once they say the veil before humanity's eyes keeping them asleep and ignorant will fall There's also the symbolic inner apocalypse said to be necessary for enlightenment. In any case, though, Western civilization will never escape the apocalypse theme. It's pretty much part of our identity. It's part of our cultural meme. And by meme, I mean, it's true meaning, not images you see on social media. It's very active in our collective unconscious. And considering just how many apocalypses our ancestors endured it's not surprising it's just part of our cultural mythology i mean if we all had a penny for how many times someone has predicted the apocalypse just over the span of our lifetimes we'd all be millionaires if we look at the original meaning of apocalypse phonetically said as a apocalypsis it doesn't mean a violent end or anything like that The original spelling looks nuts. Go check it out. Don't mind my horrible pronunciation, scholars. But what it originally means is an uncovering, a revelation that permanently casts the world in a new light. And the inner apocalypse of spiritual seekers across the planet were linked to the outer apocalypse. With the more inner apocalypse occurring in populations, the faster the timeline would be sped up to the outer apocalypse. I hope that makes sense. But this view is intimately connected to the ideology, cultural, and even military development of the British and American empires, as Jason Louv elegantly puts it. There's very real shadow history coinciding with the mainstream, and many in the West have knowingly or unknowingly pushed towards speeding up the timeline to the apocalypse. Now look at that time, I'm going to have to cut a lot of this out, aren't I? One of the main themes though from this point of view is the evolution of consciousness and people awakening prior to unknown forms of consciousness that have been kept hidden from them when they existed in their indoctrinated herd identity complete with all its limitations in thought and understanding such as D trying to restore humanity to their unfallen nature and consciousness which is essentially enlightenment from an eastern spiritual perspective it's just far more direct than the eastern style while at the same time being vastly more dangerous. If people are not prepared for transcendental states of mind, the inner apocalypse can cause people to go insane. If one has not undergone enough spiritual training, built enough discipline, reached enough life maturity, all required to navigate, contextualize, maintain, or even comprehend it, then people tend to end up lost in madness. Louv does a really good job explaining this. And that's why if you look into it, there's many blowouts and people's lives falling apart concerning those who mess with D's Enochian stuff. It's got a real danger to it for those unprepared for the inner apocalypse. And like I just said, though it's far faster, it's a faster path to enlightenment compared to the East, it's also far more perilous. It's not a process of becoming, but a process of undoing. And that's what John D. was all about. The end goal of it all is said to be the realization that the experience of themselves is that there is no boundary between themselves and the universe, and that both have been falsely separated by the brain to process day-to-day life. (sighs) And according to this paradigm, it is this that embodies our fallen nature and the consciousness that Dee was trying to bring back to humanity. An infinite universal intelligence, essentially. And humoring that this is true? Then, no wonder people who are unprepared go crazy. The Enochian Mysteries make one conclude that the world is an illusion. It makes one realize that the world is not fallen, and never was, and that humanity never even left the Garden of Eden at all. The Phenomenal Universe only exists for each individual as a perceptual trick created by the brain's processing of external sensory input, which is then represented by the nervous system itself, we at no time contact anything outside of our own sensory array, which is of necessity filtered through our own internal dialogue, ideologies, and past experiences, with even the mind itself being an illusion. Oddly, neuroscience objectively backs this up to a degree on a secular level. We think that there's stuff outside us and we interact with it, but all we see and feel are hallucinations in our minds, generated by electric impulses. In truth, no one has ever seen anything. No one has ever touched anything. It's all just in the mind. Our reality is entirely mental and only exists in the mind. I mentioned the fall, the getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden from the Angels perspective in the first episode that i told on d and this is basically it just without all the spheres of sephirot and abstractly enigmatic quabalistic stuff that no one understands in essence this is the culmination of the enochian mysteries of john d the end is the beginning the beginning is the end That's all for today's episode. If there's anything new or to add to the topic, I'd love to do more episodes on John D. in the future. There's definitely a lot more on the subject, and I could spin it off into secret societies because I I know I kind of got into those a little bit too much, but that is a deep-ass rabbit hole. But what do you think? Do you think that there's any, you know, from this perspective, their perspective, do you think that there's any legitimacy to any of this? Do you think that John D., And edward kelly were really talking to spirits they were talking to angels do you think that they were talking to demons or tricksters or who knows were they talking to the collective unconscious from a union perspective were these archetypes just being generated by them in a way that they could comprehend in any case don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see things are never how they appear at face value and whether there's any truth to any of this or not, it's still an incredibly fascinating story and topic, which gets a pretty bad rap. And like I said in the beginning of the first episode on John D, it's you can just disregard all of this. I'm not trying to push anything. I'm not trying to say any of it's true or any of it's not. But if it resonated with you, I hope that you enjoyed it. Because honestly, sometimes these episodes come out slower once in a while because it's a lot of work. Sometimes I got to read like multiple books like it like these episodes but in the end it was totally worth all the all the work anyway blabbing crypto chronicles is available on itunes spotify podbean stitcher google podcasts and basically all podcast hubs you look for us and we're there if you can make sure to like and comment or review wherever you hear this content If you enjoyed Cryptic Chronicles, even in the slightest, can you please help out the show by leaving a comment or any interaction whatsoever? It really helps with the algorithms. It'll help the episode to spread and help grow the show. So please review, comment, share, like, if you're watching this on YouTube or some other video content, whatever. It all helps. If it's on a podcast hub, just leave a review because that would help out a lot. Though the show is free to listen to, the cost to produce it is substantial by pleasing the gods of the algorithm, you are doing more than your part and support. And if you really, really like Cryptic Chronicles, and you happen to be awesome, then support the show on Patreon. For just a dollar, you can unlock full uncensored shows with no ads or anything like that. You'll also get access to exclusive podcast episodes and, depending on the pledge, can even do a bunch of other awesome stuff. You'll also be able to join the Discord. Just go to crypticchronicles.com, and at the top, click on the Chronicler's Vault. It's a link to Patreon, so you'll be good to go. Or just go to patreon.com slash crypticchronicles. It really means a lot to me. Thank you. And speaking of awesome, I'd like to thank my current patrons. MJ Calvo, Adrian, John, Celestial Weavers, AlienX, Lorna Grubb, Paul, Linda Gonzalez, Angela Delaire, Ashley, Brad Herbert, Lawrence Lee, Patricia Coles, Kayla, and our newest patron, Max. Thank you, Max. Welcome to the club. First rule of cryptic club, you don't talk about cryptic club. And thanks for supporting cryptic chronicles, but most of all, thanks for listening. And as one of the realest philosophers ever once said, people leave you out in the cold and get mad when you learn how to get warm by yourself.